0: Welcome to the Resilience Rising podcast with me, your host, Jen Scottney. With the help of my guests, we will be getting curious about what resilience is, how we develop it and the times we've used it. This podcast is here to explore all things resilience. Today, I'm talking to Rachel Smith. Rachel is a coach with over 30 years of industry experience in neuro-linguistic programming, coaching, public relations, financial services, sales and education. She works in coaching by challenging limiting beliefs, perceptions, pushing boundaries, but in a safe, confidential and solution-focused space. Rachel says she encourages an attitude of resilience, resourcefulness, a healthy sense of humour and the necessary amount of challenging creativity to inspire action so individuals and organisations become outstanding. I love with connecting with people, seeing them learn and develop and live fulfilling lives. Welcome to the podcast, Rachel. Hi, thank you. I'm I'm sort of wondering who that person is you've just described. I know. I I always do it where it's like in front of you and it's all a bit cringy for the the other person, not for me. I'm like, come on, let's big you up.
1: (laughs) No, nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Oh, you're welcome. And we were just having a little laugh, weren't we, about how we actually met in real life. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> You're one of those people I picked up wandering over the moors at a sunrise and there was a woman appearing in front of me with a head torch. And yeah, it was, I think we were up on Baslow Edge and I just kind of knew that I had to chat to you and see why you were out. <laughs> and you were out for a walk and a swim and all sorts. So yeah, <laughs> it's nice to kind of talk to you properly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so welcome to the podcast. It's all about resilience and Yes, you caught my eye because I feel like I want to pick your brains and talk to you all about resilience. So tell me a little bit about what that means to you and also how it comes up in your work. Okay, well, I I think resilience to me is the ability to
1: handle challenges and setbacks that, you know, life just throws up randomly and you're able to sort of bounce back pretty quickly and and you're not easily derailed by things. But I think there's um, a huge amount aspects to resilience. So I think you have an attitude to life that's very much a, a can-do attitude. And so you you focus on action and solutions, and I think that's a big part of resilience. And I think as you age and you live through experiences of life, that, that builds over time. But you can also sort of teach that aspect as well. You can use you know, mindset work and things like that to, to get people into a more optimistic, solution-focused framework. So that's why I love neurolinguistic programming so much. And then with resilience as well, I think you have um, some sort of emotional awareness, which is good to allow you to communicate with lots of different kinds of people. And that ability, you know, is helpful for you in your communications and helps you to be resilient because you can actually, you know, work with lots of different types of people. Uh, You have quite good self-control, I think, when you're resilient um, and often you learn that the hard way and, um, but you're able to sort of regulate your emotions. You can sort of check in and think, actually, am I in the right frame of mind to deal with this? You know, am I angry? Am I tired? Am I hungry? Um, So you're resilient in the sense of you have an awareness of if it's the right time to deal with things. And I think you have a social support network. It's very important um, for resilience to have people that you can bounce ideas off. It could be family, friends, colleagues um i think being a lone wolf is not a good idea so i think when you're resilient you're also open to sort of other people's advice and opinions and it helps you grow as a person sense of humor i think that helps you to be resilient you can laugh at life's um sort of mistakes and things you know that are out of your control you can laugh at life's frustrations i think that's a big part of being resilient and self belief i think you have to have a sense of who you are, what your purpose is in life. And, again, that's something uh, I think I'm, I'm not always the most confident person, but I have some quite strong beliefs. And I think over years I've learnt, I've gone to... Uh, i think it was the international teach uh, toastmasters association i went and did a few sessions there to learn how to to speak and and deliver uh what i wanted to say more sort of eloquently so there again there are skills that you can learn and and, and actions you can take to build that confidence to get your point across um but also having a willingness to be flexible and you know uh, to stand by what you believe in, but also know that there might be different approaches that that can help um, you to sort of be more resilient and better at what you do. So I think that's key. And having a sense of optimism that um, things are going to work out. Um, focus on your strengths. I think that helps you to be resilient, and then you can plug your weaknesses uh, with with other colleagues and friends sometimes, and um, and, and also learn from them. But I think the other thing about resilience is it's a context. You could be resilient for the short term. Um, I know you've, I think you've done sort of mountaineering and adventure travel. And so you might have a, a, I don't know, a project in mind uh, or an adventure. And, you know, you have to get the fitness right and you have to get the packing right and plan the whole trip. And for that period of time, you're extremely resilient. Um, But then there's also a resilience that's sort of long term, maybe you've got a chronic health condition or you've got life challenges and actually there's no end to it as such um, and that's a whole different kind of resilience and I think we can teach skills um, you know right from being a toddler to to, to, you know right into the end of life to to build that resilience and 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 understand the different contexts that it can
0: take. That's such a lovely way of breaking it down thank you and how did you get into coaching and this sort of work?
1: I always loved people. And I think from a very young age, I've always been kind of inquisitive about what makes people tick. You know, why did they do what they do? Why do they behave that way? Why do they say those things? And so I then put that into a sort of format by doing what we call uh neurolinguistic programming so you look at sort of how we explore life through our senses how our brains work and then you look at how that sort of helps you sort of, sort of understand the world and and your place in it then you look at sort of the language that people use and the construct of it you know what they say what they don't say the bits they delete the bits they distort And uh, sometimes pauses and silences can communicate a lot. And then there's also this sort of fascination for, you know, the body language. So I think we've all experienced it. You know, people are saying all the right things. You know, you might might say, yeah, it'd be fantastic. Let's go out and, you know, roam the hills and we'll, we'll meet at sunrise. And then you can sort of see the person and they're slumped over their desk and they've got 14 cups, empty coffee cups around them. And they're not sort of exuding that same energy that they're talking about So sometimes, you know, you're looking at sort of the, the, we call it congruence and incongruence. And I think that's a big part of why I do coaching is is getting people to be the best version of themselves uh, and to understand what makes them tick, what might be their limiting beliefs, what might be holding them back uh what things that I might need to reframe to 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 be more, you know, productive or whatever it is. Um but as I say, the key thing for me for coaching is that sort of fascination for people and just wanting to see them do, you know, do really well in life.
0: And what are the sort of people that you work with? Is it mostly professionals and coming from a similar background? A lot of professional people.
1: Um but Currently, uh, my client base is mainly women, which is something I'd like to change. Uh, I think women by nature tend to be more comfortable sort of getting help, if that makes sense, or, you know, getting support in, in whatever way it might be. I think men experience all the same kind of issues as as, as women, you know, uh, They can experience bullying in the workplace. They can, you know, have lots of different pressures that a career can bring. I know you've worked in in law for for many years. And I think it's 92% of of lawyers and people working in the legal industry can experience stress and, and, you know, anxiety. So, um, yeah, I, I tend to work with professionals. And a big part of my work is working with people who have perfectionism, as a a thing that they're trying to manage and also what we call high functioning anxiety Um, and that's a big part of my work.
0: Oh okay oh that would be interesting to talk a little bit more because then I suppose I was thinking when you were describing these aspects of resilience and it all seemed really nicely packaged and I'm like oh okay maybe we can all just learn that but now I'm thinking well hang on if it was that simple we'd all be super resilient and not have any yeah. issues so tell me a little bit about why it's so difficult in, ca- in your case and your experience and then it'd be really interesting to dig into some of those things that you've just raised that you work in uh, perfectionism and high functioning anxiety yeah
1: I, th- I think uh, one of the the key things is uh, with a lot of professional people To all intents and purposes, what we call high functioning anxiety, and that accounts for about 24 percent of the workforce um, and people with sort of generalised anxiety, is to all intents and purposes, they appear to be functioning at a really high level. And actually, they're very popular people to employ, if you think about it, because they have a keen attention to detail. Uh, They'll go the extra mile to achieve the goal. They'll take on personal responsibility. And, you know, th- there's lots of attributes that, you know, are, are absolutely essential to, to most businesses. Where it tends to be an issue for them is often more in their private life and that classic work life balance clash. And I've worked with lots of sort of senior managers, uh, particularly, say, in the NHS, and you know they they're doing a fantastic job um you know professionally and you know getting promoted uh, to 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 high levels and what they're actually saying to me is it, it's that that home life that's that's kind of taking a hit you know they can't switch off um they're doing kind of a risk assessment for the trip to the zoo with the kids um they're um you know they're planning for every eventuality they they just can't actually be in the moment. They don't sleep at night because they're processing, you know, the latest project at work and then they're treating the home life very much like a military operation as well. And it, it's 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 often that side of things that um, they're struggling with. And sometimes there's an incongruence as well that, that you know, they're doing well on paper, but they're not feeling happy. It's like, you know, I've got a great job. I've got a lovely house. I've got two kids. They, they seem, you know, pretty stable. Uh, but something's missing. And so that's where uh, sometimes that resilience can actually can kind of be, it, it can be a blessing and a curse at the same time.
0: So what's the sort of solution that we can offer if that's resonating with people? And it's certainly, there's definitely things in my past as a lawyer. I mean, I was like, yes. oh, no, yeah, perfectionism. Yeah, I'm recovering from that. No, never had high performing anxiety. And now you've just described it. I'm like, yeah, that sounds very familiar. Yeah. So so what is it that we can do to go forward? (laughs) Well, I I think this
1: is it. And again, this is why I love uh, NLP, because it's very much solution focused. So it's not sort of looking at things and saying, oh, gosh, you know, having high function anxiety or anxiety is is a terrible thing. It serves a very valid purpose. You know, it keeps us safe. It keeps us, you know, kind of on our toes. But it's when it gets out of uh, out of proportion to, you know, the, the reality of our situation so one of the key things is to sort of learn to be able to delegate and to set healthy boundaries for ourselves that's really quite important because people you know uh, who are perfectionists and highly sort of detail orientated will often find it hard to relinquish control of a project and actually sometimes when you can learn to do that and so then you can actually go home a bit earlier or you can turn up for your kids sports day and do sort of those, those other parts of your life that are important. You know, it's having that ability to say, actually, yes, I can pass this over to someone else, or you can sort of set clear expectations of what you expect from your team and what they can expect from you. And you, you sort of define yourself, um, but you, you, you kind of do it in a very, uh, very methodical sort of way. And that that's something that you can sort of train um and there are sort of processes that you can do um i i suffer with high functioning anxiety i'll often sit doing bilateral stimulation and uh, i've got a little beanbag here that i use for that and that's activating the left and the right cortex of the brain when you're extremely anxious (laughs) the synapses are not firing as they should you know there's chemical imbalance imbalances you've got cortisol dumping uh adrenaline dumping into your system and short term that's not necessarily a problem but long term that tends to have an impact on your your mental and physical health so what we're trying to do is say yeah you know anxiety is not your enemy but there are things that you might need to do to kind of get it into into perspective and you know healthy boundaries is is part of that and actually when you create boundaries I, I used to be terrible you know people could access me sort of 24 hours a day. My business page and my social page were blurring. Clients were contacting me in the middle of the night. They saw my little blue light on on Facebook and, you know, suddenly they're messaging me about their mental health crisis. And I would respond and it was like, whoa, what are you doing? You know, this is not not a good way to be. And um, I'm not really giving my best either. Uh, And I need to sort of walk the walk, talk the talk and, and stick to my boundaries. So I'm now very much more you know it's a learning curve um but you know i've set very clear boundaries about contact and how soon i'm going to get back to clients and that kind of thing and actually rather than offending people <laughs> i find i'm treated with more respect now and i'm actually seen as more credible because people realize i'm not just there as as an emergency contact and actually that my time and my experience is is valuable and you know to allocate time with clients accordingly and i'm guessing so
0: it, oh sorry i was just going thinking that when you're showing up in those times you're you're probably showing up as in a more refreshed and better and coming from a better place because it's not exactly. the not the middle of the night yeah
1: exactly <laughs> and 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 again that that's one of the, the side effects sometimes of this high functioning anxiety and lack of boundaries is you know this insomnia or this you know inability to just switch off and I think it was uh, James Reeves uh, on a previous podcast said how important it is to stop and you know we're bombarded aren't we 24-7 you know we can access information people can you know ping us um, it, it's, it's it's having that discipline to say actually the phone is going off or you know, I'm going for a walk in nature. I'm not even going to take the phone with me, potentially. Um, and you know that there's there's things that we can very deliberately do um, to, to to sort of change the way that we're allowing ourselves to be uh, kind of um, overwhelmed. I think uh, sometimes, mm-hmm. so, yeah.
0: And just just going back to, I think you called it the bilateral stimulation, and you waved a beanbag. Like what 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 are you? <laughs> What did you do with the beanbag? What's going on? I've never heard well, of this. Is this something I should have known 10 years ago?
1: I'm going to do a shorter video. There is one on, on um, my Facebook page uh, that explains it. And basically what you're doing is you're literally passing the beanbag from your left hand to your right hand. And the exchange point is, is sort of what we call the centre point, the, sort of near the core. And what that does is it obviously it's, it's what I call an action distraction. So you're distracting yourself from the racing thoughts or the, you know, the fluttering heart or whatever might be going on. And so you're just doing this very sort of deliberate action. And then to make it a little bit harder and to to, to do the action action distraction at a higher level, you might, you know, you might, might count down from 100 while you're doing it. Uh, or from 50 but you do it in threes, you so, say you know 50 47 43 and it, it's just a way of you then start to regulate your breathing you start to just focus on the task rather than all the tabs that are open in your mind and, and sort of you know blah. Um, and it helps to still the mind but also it, it's it's doing a very methodical type uh, situation so I think it's EMDR, works very much on that principle, you know, where you sort of watch your finger and from left to right, that kind of thing. It gets that focus uh, back and it gets the synapses on the left and the right side of the brain working and firing. So instead of being in panic mode or freeze mode, you you start to feel more resourceful and in control. F- following on from that, I might do the, the 3 to one technique. It's sort of a grounding technique. So it would be like three things you can see in your immediate environment two things you can hear, one thing that you can touch. And again, that gives you immediate feedback and it brings you back to the sort of present moment. Um, so in NLP terms, I talk about take a pause, um, not necessarily stop completely, but pause, pivot, get a different perspective on things. So if you're sitting down, you might stand up. Uh, if you're standing again, you might sit down, um, you know, you might shake your hands for a little while. You might, you know, there's lots of things Fox breathing, you know, you you sort of inhale to the count of four, hold the breath for the count of four, exhale for the count of six, and just sort of do this very rhythmic action distraction to get you in a a
0: place of of, of relative peace. And then you can sort of start anew. (laughs) Come from a better place. Thank you so much for those tips. It's something that I hadn't seen or heard before. And Yes. (laughs) in those moments of stress and overwhelm, I'm going to start passing (laughs) a little beanbag, find the dog's balls, (laughs) passing it between.
1: I've I've heard people, uh, I know one of my friends, he he got to an event and he he didn't have, uh, he'd forgotten the the gear and somebody went out and bought a bag of potatoes. So he was using a potato. He could get a pair of socks, preferably clean ones. And the great thing is, as well, they're quite squidgy. So, again, you could use them as a bit of a stress reliever, just sort of gripping, um, you know, those. Are, they're very simplistic things. But actually, if you have the discipline to do them and not just do it once, um, you know, when I'm I'm in a highly anxious state, I will, you know, sit and do the bilateral stimulation two or three times a day. I'll do the grounding thing several times a day. There's a, an alphabet exercise that I do. Lots of clients will know about that. That's that's brilliant. It's a bit of fun again and it's 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 sort of using your left your right hands um and and it's it's just another wonderful example of of action distraction, but it also focuses the mind in a much healthier way. So there's lots of techniques And skills that people can use to to manage you know this this high functioning anxiety or generalized anxiety
0: yes and so this is thinking back to when we were talking about resilience and you talked i'm guessing this is emotions and emotional awareness those self-control this is just that taking the pause is it so that you can recognize what's going on and and come take your action from that place Exactly and for me um I have chronic fatigue syndrome
1: and some days um I I do these exercises and they're a great sort of um barometer for how I'm doing so on days when I find it really easy to do them that usually means you know I've slept fairly well I've been eating well I've had a nice walk out in nature and you know these things are relatively easy for me uh Other days I might do them and I'm really struggling. I can't even finish the task. And that's giving me direct feedback that, hey, I'm not in a good place here. So it might actually mean, you know, I need to rearrange an appointment with a client or delay a meeting on my business uh, page. I talk about brown envelope days. And when I was really ill a few years ago, I I went to bury the you know, bury my head mode and letters were coming in, there were things I needed to deal with and I just couldn't cope and I'd, I'd sort of open things, start reading them, I couldn't even read the text properly, I'd catastrophise what I'd read anyway and so I, I created this uh, idea of what I call them brown envelope days because they're the kind of letters that you need to respond to, you know, they might put in the in round revenue, they need a, a response within seven days or 14 days or whatever it could be a final demand letter that there's something you can't put off indefinitely but you you know you also need to be in the right frame of mind to deal with them so I just suddenly thought, <laughs> thought well what can I do so if something comes through and it could be an email it could be you know a random comment on on your feedbook on Facebook um it's kind of just checking with yourself it's like right am I in the right place to kind of deal with this um my energy's better in the morning? so my post tends to come at two o'clock in the afternoon so I already know the odds are against me in terms of being in the best place to deal with that whatever's coming through my letterbox so I would put in my diary you know this arrived this date and I'll sort of check in I think yeah not in a good place so I'll diarise you know for my next available space to, to to deal with it and what I actually found on a number of occasions when I kind of tested this out uh, obviously, I'd have a cutoff point where you'd have to deal with something. You can't just keep putting it off. But it might even be I need a trusted friend to help me with this to sort it out. Or I need to go and speak to Citizens Advice Bureau or some, you know, there might be some other action that you need someone to, to help intervene with you. Um, but on the days when I actually took that pause and said, actually, not in the best place to deal with this, you could bet your bottom dollar probably the next day when I reread whatever it was, i see it completely differently. And in fact, often I'd misunderstood what the content even was. And most of the time it was never as bad <laughs> as I thought it was. Um, and that's a very interesting thing. And um, so I think that, that ability to pause, check in, you know, how am I doing? is really important. And these techniques that I teach help you to do that. So, um, and you get actual evidence, feedback, which is important.
0: And it feels like they're pretty instant.
1: Yeah. Which,
0: is, which we like. We like in this day and age of something we can do straight away that works. <laughs> we we do don't yes. have to commit to months and months of therapy. Well, maybe yeah. maybe that's an <laughs> something yeah. else. Uh, and I think
1: I think that's the, thing. The, the other thing, though, that I do say to clients is it's, it's not a one-off fix. So you don't just do bilateral stimulation once and that's it. The the evidence is that you know it takes about thirty days for something to become a habit and and something that you can sort of do consistently. So again, it's it's a case of having that discipline to keep practicing. And even when you feel great, still keep doing it. Obviously, probably not as much, but it it just gives your brain that sort of ah oh, yeah, this is what we're doing, and this is really good, and it's healthy. And uh, and it's very easy again to to suddenly think oh i'm fine at the moment and that's why i do it as a sort of discipline it's like well am i really fine because i'm very good you know we can we can pretend that we're fine um so it's good to have something that you can actually measure it you know properly and and sort of see where you're at
0: Mm. and going back to the high performing anxiety that you were describing because i think this might be something that a lot of people recognize either in themselves or others (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, yeah. but I guess it's harder to spot in others unless you've been through it maybe and then and then I can see the signs <laughs> yeah and yeah. so so where where's that coming from is there something that we can put as a as a source for it
1: uh um, that's one thing as a coach I I never uh the, the last the last thing you want to do is is make any sort of assumptions because uh i've i've worked with people and uh you know sometimes there's an experience in their life that has for whatever reason you know maybe there's been a trauma maybe they've seen someone else respond to a stressful situation and you know they've kind of almost learned oh that's that's how you deal with that so sometimes there can be a trigger experience but sometimes there isn't. Um, sometimes, equally, you know, uh, my my kids uh, they they often compliment me and their dad for this sort of high performance anxiety, this sort of perfectionism that we we have going on, and 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 you can see it through various generations of of, of both our families. Um, but as I say, I don't see it as a as an issue as such if you can manage it. And so um, we 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 often joke, you know, that. Um, we we have to you know it's 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 a double edged sword. Uh, there's lots of benefits to to being able to perform at a high level, and and you know do amazing things. But it's getting it into perspective and and making sure that all aspects of your life are also fulfilling, and it's not all about this this sort of one thing that you're trying to achieve.
0: And how um, but, sorry? How does it look if it's something that is problematic? What are the signs that we we're looking out for?
1: Uh, Well, one of the things that can happen is you can, uh, particularly if you know someone relatively well, signs of high anxiety can be um, speaking very quickly. Um, Sometimes you'll notice uh, you might have a colleague and and maybe when they're under pressure, sometimes they're talking a lot more quickly and it's all, you know, and uh, there can be lots of tells. But then equally, some people, it's a complete uh, you know, shock when suddenly, you know, they're signed off work for six months, um, because just physically broken down, or mentally broken down. And so there aren't always signs. And also, I think sometimes some employers almost, <laughs> they don't really care about the fact that you're working at this very high level, because actually, that's, that's what they need. Um, and I think some employers even exacerbate the problem, because they'll plough work onto people who can handle in theory, handle the pressure and um, and different demands of a role. And sometimes there are weak people in the team that they don't actually sort of work on them to develop them to bring them up to a standard. So, I, I, in my experience in in the workplace, I think sometimes I think employers need to rethink sometimes the way they treat their teams and and sort of bringing people all up to a a better level I think is is probably going to be useful but again there's there's no definite definitive course to it Um, sometimes I say there are trigger experiences I've had people who get very anxious in particular situations and they can go back to maybe a childhood experience and maybe the adult that they were with when that particular thing happens you know obviously they were coping with it to the best of their ability at the time but maybe they didn't handle it in an ideal way for that person and you know so they've sort of learned this behavior rather than actually that it belongs to them so that's sometimes quite an easy fix that can reframe that experience as a child and sort of heal it as an adult if if that makes sense but that's another reason why I love coaching because there's lots of different aspects and lots of different
0: potential causes. Mm, You said about perfectionism, and that's definitely something that I relate to. I I call myself a recovering perfectionist. But I think when, when you were talking about the about what resilience is and that handling of setbacks and, and easily derailed. I think what, what's what been problematic for me is with an ideal of perfectionism, it's an all or nothing. And if it's not perfect, then it's an absolute disaster. And, yeah. uh, and that's how it showed up as being very problematic for me. It, it also stopped me Acting and doing a lot of things because I was kind of frozen. Because if it wasn't perfect, I couldn't go ahead. So I yeah. just wondered if that's quite normal <laughs> for yeah. a perfectionist, and if there's anything else that's as problematic with it. I, I, th- I think
1: I think what you've you've sort of um, described there is is is, is quite it's more common than you realize um and also as you say what it tends to do is because you you need or you perceive everything has to be perfect then you you actually begin to get what we call decision fatigue so you literally can't make any decisions because it's like if it's not if everything's not in place then you know i, I can't go forward well that's that's you know that's the opposite of what you want it it's 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 not empowering at all so my my sort of classic response is how about learning to be perfectly imperfect i'm trying <laughs> 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 um but but if you think about it you know in reality you know very few things are perfect and you know if, if you think of artwork there's some really beautiful pieces of artwork aren't there out in the world and the, the old pieces of artwork that they're, they're worn by time they that you might have a beautiful vase and there might be a little chip in it Um there might be painting that gradually unless it's in a museum you know the light uh, natural light etc starts to make the picture fade But it's still a very beautiful piece of 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 work but it's not perfect anymore and 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 I think I think if we can let go of this sort of idea of perfection um and and just accept that actually you know it is it's perfect to be imperfect I know it sounds a bit of a contradiction but people sort of suddenly go yeah that's that's much better yeah and again
0: I think going back to that painting analogy as well what what works for that is that what my idea of perfect is isn't necessarily what somebody else's idea of perfect is so you could have show me the perfect painting and I might just not like it and I think when yeah. I realized that it's almost like perfection is an illusion it it doesn't really exist does it no it doesn't and
1: as you say you know it's it's a bit like you know when you know when we, we met on our walk you know sort of going back to the very beginning of how we met And obviously, when I'm up on Baslow Edge, I love the Highland cows. I was trying to seek them out and I really love a, a sunrise a little bit more than a sunset, but they're all beautiful. But me and you, if we recounted the day we met, if we were at the pub later and talking to the people, you would have a very specific kind of take on things, and I would talk about it. And you could potentially even think we were walking in a different place because <laughs> the things that I pick up on, the things that I find sensually pleasing, will be different to yours. And as you say, you know, I remember years ago going to, we were we were interrailing and went to this gallery in Stockholm and it was you know, there was Van Gogh, you know, there was lots of famous painting and artwork and I was just really bored and thought it was, most of it was rubbish. Two of the people I was with, you know, they were like, oh my gosh, you know, this is amazing and, and you know, getting really into it and talking about you know the colors and the content and I felt really sort of a bit ignorant and 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 but but I know now if I went back again as a, an older person with lots of different life experiences in the interim I'd probably appreciate it in a whole different way and this is the other thing you know you might think you you know this is half a job you know this is no, not really up to my standard but to someone else they'll be thinking wow she's you know she's over over delivering here uh, because, again, it's about this perception, this distortion, this deletion, um, you know, and and as you say, it, it's in the eye of the beholder.
0: I liked how you mentioned a sense of humour when you were talking about <laughs> these things. Like, is that something we can learn? How do we develop? How how do we know what to laugh at and what actually we can <laughs> well, I, I realise I've got quite a dark sense of humour, so sometimes you
1: have to be a little bit careful. And, and obviously we're living in a very PC society at the moment. But but I I openly use humour because I think it it breaks the ice sometimes. And sometimes it backfires, but that's okay. You know, I can can do something about that. But, I mean, some people, um, you get voice coaches, you get laughter therapists, smile therapists, and they teach you, you know, and you stand in front of the mirror and, you you know, you practice your smile. (laughs) Um, I don't know if people remember, there was a series, I don't know if it was in the 90s, called Ali McBeal, and it was about lawyers in, in America, and uh, one of the, the senior partners there, he he did this sort of smile therapy because, you know, he he, he sort of struggled with interaction and things. Uh, so, yeah, you can sort of train yourself. And in terms of humor, I'll often, uh, lots of clients will be fed up, you know, they get sent the, the Morecambe and Wise clip. And it's... Um, it's got the the old stripper music, you know, da, 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 and, and they're doing a, a sort of, they're getting breakfast ready and they're in their PJs and they're sort of squeezing the, the lemons or they're sort of throwing the sausages around and it's got this sort of innuendo going on and it's only about two minutes long, but if I'm in a bit of a slump and I'm feeling really not, I'll put that on and <laughs> I usually, I end up laughing, so it's, it's just an interesting uh, thing that you can do. And, um, you know, there are techniques where you can just sort of go and, you know, use that, who knows, Um, but you can train yourself to just be more receptive to fun things. So yeah, there there are are ways and means.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I definitely find like sometimes when I'm in a a, a better place where I, I guess that's going back to when you were saying about testing yourself where kind of have I slept well? Am I eating well? And a, where am I today? Like I'll find some yeah. things really funny. Whereas on days when I'm tired and stressed and feeling a bit overwhelmed, I will lose my sense of humour.
1: <laughs> exactly. And, and that's, that's, an that's another kind of telltale sign. So, you know, someday it's like music. I find music can be really helpful. So if I'm really struggling with energy then I might put on uh, Katrina in the waves uh, walking on sunshine. It's got this beat in it. And, and if I'm playing that and I'm still not feeling it, then I, I really need to check in with myself and say, right, what's going on? What's been happening over the last few days? And usually that's when it comes back to haven't been eating well, haven't been sleeping well, um, haven't like, not been doing certain things that normally keep me, like you say, on an even keel. So they're always a good barometer. Um, and But I think being able to just laugh at yourself, laugh at life's frustrations, it sort of gives you a, a different take on things. And it, it, it's a reliever of, of all that tension that we're often holding in our body.
0: You also mentioned that can-do attitude and having those actions and solutions. I mean, is that something as well that you can work on with people?
1: Yeah, because if, if you think about it, um, I, I don't know about you, but I have I have an internal script sometimes. So um, I I can be doing an activity and I can have that inner voice that's saying, you're not very good at this. I'm a bit rubbish. So you can actually train yourself to say one of the key things when you're trying to sort of prop yourself up a little bit is actually say, if you're doing a task and you're struggling, you could go, come on, Rachel. Um, or come on, Jen. And um, when you use your own name, evidently that's quite powerful. And I, I've tried—I I've tried this on a number of occasions, and I find that you know, if I actually use my own name uh, when I'm doing a task, you know, I might be—I don't know—even just putting washing in the washing machine, and I'm just you know feeling a bit sluggish. You know, I say, "Come on, Rachel, you know, grab that laundry, get it in the machine." And I have a, like a little conversation, but it but the tone of it is it's it's personal to me it's it's actually acknowledging me with my own name and it's weird, but it does make a difference. So there are lots of little things that you can do. you can sort of train yourself um, you know when you know you hear that sort of negative voice that th- there are things that you can do to sort of rewire your brain to actually go ah, 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 that's what I used to do. you know there's actually this this other version of me that can handle this. And again, that's why people do come to me. It's not just a case of do a bit of bilateral stimulation. There can be lots of other things underpinning um, a particular challenge that you have. And that's why working with a coach is really often beneficial to to help you do that.
0: Yeah, you said that when we're talking about those kind of handling challenges. And I noticed that you use a Rumi quote, which I think you sent to me when you sent me a bio. And it was... Try not to resist the changes I think it said that come your way and yeah I wondered if why, why you picked that quote and how, how important it is that we're not resisting change and, and these challenges that come our way. Well, I think it. I think that the, I can't remember that. I got
1: the quote to hand, and um, I'm quite tired at the moment, so I can't just kind of quote it verbatim. But it talks about, you know, um, seeing things one way. How do you know that that's actually the right way, anyway? And mm. and I think that's my whole thing is, um, however you're experiencing reality, um, it, it's it's going to be different for every person, if if, if, if that makes sense. And also, you know, the way that things are working for you right now, you know, how do you know there isn't a different way or a better way or, you know, actually maybe that's, this is just fine, but it's being curious about what different approaches you could have. And, and um, you know, I love working with lots of different therapists um, and I'll refer work and clients to different people because sometimes my remit can't necessarily help the person fully or, you know, it might even be that, They need to find a different coach, you know, because when when I work with clients, I don't just, um, you know, it's not if they, they ring. I don't just say, you know, yes, let's let's go for it. Sometimes it's kind of they have to test out whether I'm the right fit for them. And likewise, you know, I might test out with a little bit of homework, whether they're prepared to sort of do the work because there is there's work to do. Um, but it's for, for a, a very for the benefit of, of your sort of lifestyle and your choices and sort of to sometimes just reprogram how you're you're going about things.
0: I'm I'm always interested, and it's come up a few times when I've talked to coaches about this sense of a purpose. And I always feel a little bit of a failure because I'm not sure that I could kind of give you a life purpose for me (laughs) so I've kind of skimmed over it before but I thought no I am going to actually dig into this on this episode and it's like I feel maybe maybe this is because I'm only a recovering perfectionist and I've not quite quite left it yet but I I feel like I can't give you a succinct purpose or a, a correct purpose for my life and and what is it that you're talking about when you talk about a purpose and and do I have to define one right now today? <laughs> <laughs> no, no
1: this, this is the weird thing. I mean, um, th- th- there's a lovely tool. The chap called Robert Dilt, who was one of my trainers when I, you know, did my initial NLP training, and he has something called the logical levels, and it's about looking at the environment, the behaviours, your capabilities. It's about looking at your values. Um, and then it, it talks about you know, sort of this pinnacle is is your purpose, your life purpose. Now, some people um, live their whole life and maybe the purpose is just to experience life. You know, it doesn't have to be that uh you want to build a, a refuge in, in you know a third world country um and, and it's wonderful when people do have that sense of purpose don't get me wrong but but sometimes you know it it's it's if you think of sort of spiritual gurus they'll they'll just sort of say well actually you know it, it's just about being here being present being open to experiences and that doesn't have to be the big purpose um and, and I think people put pressure on themselves. <laughs> that you know there has
0: to be I'm know, really this. jealous of like my dog and the birds I can see in my garden because they don't have to come up with a purpose they're just living their life
1: <laughs>
0: no uh, well there was a brilliant
1: thing the other day and, and someone was talking about um they were using this analogy with their dog and sort of saying you know, he you know his thing is you know is the dinner and oh, you know my owner's home I'm happy to see them the waggy tail and you know I'll go to sleep now and 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 that and they are literally just kind of being in the moment aren't they Yeah, they're very much just responding and reacting to the the immediate moment, and I think we can learn a lot from from the animal kingdom on that basis. Um, and they don't get too embroiled in, you know. Oh, I wonder what they think of me. You know, it's just they're very much, you know, now let's let's interact. Um, so I, I think I think we need to sort of move away from this obsession with you have to have a purpose, and if you don't have a purpose, then you're not really a proper person. I don't Mm. I don't really believe that. And I think people, when they say they don't have a purpose specifically, quite often then when you talk to them, you know, they'll suddenly tell you about, you know, they have a passion for nature and they've actually signed a petition or they've written to their MP. And I go, okay, so, you know, that that's pretty purposeful, isn't it? And they go, well, yeah. But, you know, I'm not I'm not running off to saying the rainforest or anything. It's like, no. But, you know, and, and I think we can sometimes think we've got to do something really big to make a difference and actually it can just be a really small thing so um that's just my my
0: personal take on it and that really that's really helpful it's taken some of the pressure off
1: i think i also <laughs> no, i'm interested i'm just really interested jen when you talk about you keep saying referring to yourself as a recovering perfectionist <laughs> uh, and i am just curious what you know explain that to me because i think that's really interesting
0: <laughs> i think uh, for many years i was a lawyer and completely absorbed by perfectionism and after i had all my health problems and completely burnt out and left that career i've really recognized some of the unhelpful and unhealthy habits that i had and and how I thought perfectionism was really positive in that I had such high standards but now I can see how that led to my downfall really and and also the kind of opportunities I missed because I I was so it came from a place of fear really fear that things weren't good enough or I wasn't good enough if it wasn't yeah. perfect so I'm I'm definitely recovering in the sense that I can see all that but I uh, but I know that it sometimes creeps in, <laughs> still. <laughs> yeah. well, they, and I think like finding my my purpose is one where it's crept in a little bit because uh, if it's not going to be perfect and serve me for the rest of my life, well, I won't even try. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> book a coaching session. Because, you know, I'm, I'm only kidding. But I think I think what's really interesting is when it comes back to you know hearing yourself. Saying, you know, um, I have a very interesting take. I, I have chronic fatigue syndrome and one of the big um, sort of symptoms of it is, is fatigue. Um, but I don't go, I'm fatigued. I talk about being, you know, I'm fatiguing at the moment. And this is where, again, it's, it's a language thing. And, and I talk about health and illing. They're not actual correct words. But if you think about how it sounds, if you say you're fatigued, it seems very it's finite it's like you know it, it or not finite that's not the right word it, it feels like it's it's a long-term thing if i sound fatiguing it sounds like there could be a beginning middle and end to it do you get where i'm coming mm,
0: from yes
1: so if you're illing um you know as in not well again it doesn't sound permanent whereas if you say i'm ill it's it's kind of there's almost like a full stop and so, and again, if I say I'm healthy, it's like you know, there's movement to it. So I love to play around with you know people's perceptions and and the kind of talk, the self-talk that they have, and actually that can give a whole different connotation to things. So, um, and again, I think that that's as well where I've become quite resilient. I'll you know I've learned lots of different techniques over the years, and I've tried different approaches to my health. You know, um, medicinal herbalism uh electromagnet there is electromagnetic therapy lots of different things to help me manage my my health but i also have this very sort of specific relationship with it and i i see benefits as well to having it uh, because it's taught me a lot about how to avoid burnout and to know the signs and the triggers um even just who i spend time with sometimes you know i've got a lovely diverse friendship group but there are sometimes people who When you're with them, they're they're a bit more intense and maybe a bit more draining in terms of the energy you need to give to to your interaction. So if I'm in a low, you know, low fatigue sort of state, then I might put off seeing them to to a time when I know that I'm going to be a bit more bubbly. Uh, And likewise, you know, sometimes I'll cancel things because I just realize actually I might be a bit of a drain on other people because, you know, I'm not feeling great um and then but you you have this sort of awareness and um and a resilience as well to you know sometimes there are friends that you or colleagues you've got and you know that even if you're in a real slump they they can they can sort of handle that and 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 often give you a bit of a kick up the backside and help you get back on track so um yeah it's um i think resilience though is something often people say oh you know I'm not resilient um you know when people say they haven't got a purpose or you know I'm not resilient I go okay so you know when you were a kid you know obviously when you're first born you're totally dependent on your parents um for everything and, and but then you learn if you cry in a certain way you know they come and feed you or they come and change your nappy and so I said, you start to learn sort of these skills, don't you? You know, oh, this is how I get attention. And they go, yeah. And I said, and then you know, you want to learn to walk and talk. And I said, you fall down a hell of a lot, don't you? And they go, yeah. Gee, not that you remember it, but you know, you do. Uh, but you don't, you don't, you don't fall down and go oh, right. Well, I'm giving up on this walking lock. You know, there'd be lots of us just you know sat sat on the sofa, <laughs> wouldn't there? So you know, we do have resilience, but we don't necessarily recognise it because actually, in the scheme of things, it seems quite small. But actually, it's amazing. And anyone with high functioning anxiety and and, and generalised anxiety, you know, someone who's afraid to leave the house, you know, maybe they go to visit their kid or they go to to a a, a doctor appointment. Actually, for them to make that leap and move outside is is huge resilience from them and, and reserves of just true grit really but, but but we don't perceive it that way because often society you know you're only resilient if you've climbed Kilimanjaro <laughs> you know on your hands or something but resilience you know it's the context I, I think and that's a very important thing.
0: Oh that's a lovely way of putting it yes I really appreciate that thank you because I sometimes feel like we do have to be doing extraordinary things and you've just put it in a very lovely way that actually we're all resilient in our own small ways as yeah. well so and I was going I to say you were talking about those those things that you tried personally I was actually going to ask you about that really holistic approach that you've got because I noticed that you were talking about that the herbalism and the um, acupuncture and things but but it sounds and I was wondering where that came from but it sounds like it comes from a real personal experience of things that you've tried and found help yeah. with.
1: Because um, when I had my sort of burnout health crash in 2016, uh, one of the things I found really hard was that lack of control, and, and lots of things were being done to my body and biopsies and propped and prodded, and photographs being sent off to you know different um, specialist centres in, in in the country, and doctors actually quite often just couldn't give me answers, and so that was a little bit scary to me but also you know these these are professional people and sometimes you know they don't have the answers they're not perfect either and and obviously I didn't just go off on my own and think right well I, I you know forget conventional treatments you know I was I was very much you know liaising with my consultants and my GP uh, but I you know I said to one of them I, I'm thinking of um, you know going and seeing a qualified medicinal herbalist because I don't react well to to drugs, you know, I had bad reactions to anaesthetics in the past, pain relief I'm not particularly good with and then it seems to trigger things like IBS and uh, I, I sort of class myself as quite a sensitive individual, but not in a negative way, it's just, you know, I seem to like to have a natural approach to things. And they were very supportive and and they were like, no, you know, there's, you know, actually modern medicine, you know, takes a lot of its basis from, you know, herbalism and and sort of the natural world anyway. Um, And and also some things are just complementary to sort of the invasive treatments that you might be having. So I think anything that sort of empowers you and makes you feel like you can make some choices for yourself and it's not just what the doctors say. Uh, obviously taking their advice on board I think that's incredibly powerful
0: yeah yeah and and something that I've had a similar experience with and and found real success for times with Chinese medicine and other um, routes that I went looked at from when I had my chronic fatigue syndrome as well and when you were talking about that lack of control that you felt around your illness which I definitely felt too it it kind of made me think back when we were talking about perfectionism and possibly high performing anxiety like I suppose a lot of my perfectionism w- w- gave me a sense of control it didn't really but it, it kind of gave <laughs> me as autumn. <laughs> and I sort of and and I was thinking of that flexibility that you spoke about as being part of resilience and how we handle challenges i mean i've found in the past i 'm probably still to a degree now, I feel like well, if I can control anything, everything, then nothing bad's going to happen. <laughs> I know that's really unrealistic, but but somehow that still that still feels like something I can cling on to now and again. Like, is that something that you find? Is that something that we need to work with? Do we need to just surrender to life a little bit more?
1: Because if you you think about it, if if you're kind of planning for every eventuality and 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 trying to sort of live, live this perfect existence, most of the time things are going to fall short of that, and. So there's a lot of disappointment. And also you're expending so much energy on on having everything perfect. And actually, a lot of the things that you plan for never actually happen anyway. So, again, you've expended all this energy (laughs) on, you know, preempting every possible outcome and you know it's 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 exhausting mentally and physically. So I've also noticed that there's a strong correlation between people with uh, chronic fatigue and this perfectionism, and then this sort of roller coaster of burnout. And, and there seems to be a bit of a pattern, uh, not not always, um, but but it's amazing. S-s- these things tend to correlate. So again, it's about managing expectations and your sense of self in a in a a different way to try and get a different
0: result yeah i feel like a cliche there (laughs) describing it (laughs)
1: trust me i I, i'm i'm definitely a cliche Uh, but i've also taken ownership of you know right Well, what can i do what can i change and sometimes i slip back i i've I've got all this training and i've learned lots of other skills and techniques um and you know I, I got very interested in um sort of eating right for your blood type, so it's not not always driven by a diet, but you know there, there's been lots of research that your blood group can be very important in terms of the types of food that you put into your body and um I got very interested in that because of sort of my autoimmune um situation and you know i again it's just another avenue that i've i've kind of explored and some things made a lot of sense and i didn't come to that uh, sort of understanding and knowledge until i was sort of in my late 40s and certain cravings that i used to get obviously some are, uh, you know yeah they're, they're probably just bad habits but sometimes i got cravings for, the, for things that were really nutritious And actually, my body was giving me a very direct message that, you know, you need that to to boost your energy. Um, So, you know, I think it's just having a curiosity uh, rather than trying to be perfect. It's just being curious and thinking, oh, why do I do that? And and how does that affect me? And, you know, and uh, just learning to be resilient and and change your expectations. And as I say, most of the time, most perfectionists realize that, in fact, the, the sort of bar that you've set for yourself most people are they're nowhere near it and they're they're already in awe of what you do and 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 actually if you you were performing half level you'd still be (laughs) probably outliving most people's you know expectations of you so we often put pressure on ourselves and actually everyone else around us is is, more than happy with what you're doing it's it's just something that we've it's a skill we've acquired to 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 want to be perfect Mm. but you can
0: (laughs) (laughs) definitely I'm not sure I'd call it a skill (laughs) skill.
1: (laughs) I often say to people you know well what are you really good at and they go I'm really good at getting anxious and I go you know (laughs) can I have a certificate in that (laughs) and, and, and you get playful and and sort of and when people start uh, that's again when they tend to get a bit more resourceful, and they take that pressure off themselves, and then they're in a in a in a state to sort of think about what they might want to change or, you know, do a little bit differently.
0: One thing that I just wanted to ask you, just and it's not something that you've really talked about, but it was about kind of goal setting and having goals. And that's something that I see quite a lot. Maybe it kind of goes a little bit back to the purpose as well, but, it, but it's more just kind of in the sh- shorter term. We have a goal and we work towards it. And I think I've probably been quite goal driven before. But now what I wonder is like when I was driving towards a goal did I miss out on you know you just talked about that curiosity in the context of your health but curiosity in like other things I might enjoy other things that might actually be in a in a way better for me and I just wondered like do I do I have to have a goal (laughs) this is maybe do I need a perfect goal no (laughs) uh, (laughs) like do you do you work with people as in Yes, you need a goal. We need something to be working with. Or can we meander through life like a little kid in a garden, seeing what takes our fancy?
1: (laughs) Well, I I mean, I certainly know uh, I've got friends who seem to have no particular plan and seem to be having a great life. Uh, Personally, um, I, I think it's useful to have a rough idea of, of of certain things, but I've also learned to be a bit more go with the flow and be a bit more spontaneous. And I think that's, again, this coming back to resilience is, is, is having that flexibility sometimes to think actually, you know, this is, this is, you know, I, I, I want to go away on a holiday next year and I, you know, I don't know, maybe you want to have an adventure holiday. So you need to have a goal of, well, are you going to go bareback riding in, in Montana or are you going to go and climb Kilimanjaro because otherwise, you, you know, you can't think about how you're going to achieve that, as in what time you're going to need to have to have up work, whether you need to do some fitness preparation and that kind of thing. So I think you do have to have a rough idea sometimes of, of what you're trying to achieve in order then to sort of put things in place to make it happen, if, if that makes sense. But it, I think you can, you know, just just even making a list for each day can be a good way to help you to sort focus on then sort of the bigger picture goals.
0: You see, and now I know that my old bad habit was to yes, do that list, but it would be completely unachievable, and maybe need like a, a week's worth of hours to actually get it done. And yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, um, I I, I, I like
0: limit myself that. to three things I'm allowed on a list and yeah. no more.
1: So, so,
0: so again, and, and that's why
1: sometimes having a buddy, you know, you might have a goal buddy and you, you might, you know, you, you might work with each other to just sort of, you know, sort of say, you know, they'll keep you on track. I mean, I do this often with, with other coaches, you know, you know, sometimes we can be our own worst enemy and they'll just sort of call you out on your, you know, your, your BS or your uh, procrastination. But I often make lists and then I forget to take the list, you know, it's the classic thing with shopping. But you know, and I'd, I'd beat myself up, and I think, "Oh, you idiot!" You know, and and but but I, I I sort of flip it around and I think, right, well, the fact that I made the list, and this has been proven in sort of scientific conditions, you're more likely to 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 remember what was, even though you haven't got it there. The likelihood is you'll remember items, and I I kind of flip it the other way, and I think, right, well, when I get home, hopefully I can find the list. You know, I'm going to see how many of the items I got. And then I get really happy when I've actually got everything on my list <laughs> and a couple of extra things. You know, it's like, whoa. So I think sometimes it's turning turning things on their head and and so sort of knowing you've got this perfectionist uh, sort of thing going on, but almost be playful with it. So it's like, huh, you know. I wrote that list. I haven't got it with me, but you know how many things. And do you know what I mean? So it's not you're trying to fight against it all the time. It's 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 just being playful, um, mm. and I think that's
0: quite a good good thing to do. Rachel, you know you can get lists on your phone and. <laughs> I'm very
1: much older. <laughs> I know, and uh, usually though, I say and I share sort of lists with minutes.
0: people, and then we can all tick them off. <laughs> <laughs> I know you doing? said you were a technofo before we started, yeah. but
1: <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a recovering technofo. I'm going to take that take that on board, and and uh, you know that that's um, just doing this podcast today. That's you know, very much out of my comfort zone, but that's something I've learned to, that has built resilience. Is is sort of pushing myself to do things even though I'm not particularly comfortable because you learn something from it so I think and that's that's helpful um, to build resilience and confidence because you're having different experiences even if they don't necessarily feel great Um, and sometimes you actually find that you're really good at something that you you didn't even know about um, and that can be really rewarding
0: yes and i think in the past i've done quite extreme things to get to that point of putting myself in uncomfortable situations like running 100 miles and whereas now i don't really feel like i need to do that for me just putting myself starting something new putting myself in that new position where i'm slightly uncomfortable for me i I find that that's enough but not every day because my nervous system (laughs) can't cope with that
1: (laughs) <laughs> and, and and I think that's the thing, um, you know. And, and there's lots of talk, isn't there, about how now people are doing high adrenaline um, sports and and sort of taking unnecessary risks because you know our lives have become quite mundane. And I, I don't really know about that. Um, I'm I'm still very much, you know, I like if I, if I'm going and doing a, you know, I did a canoe expedition last year. I like to go with a reputable coach, um, so that I know if I do get into difficulty, you know, I'll I'll have the best outcome. If if you know what I mean. So, although I'm letting go of that sort of perfectionism, I'm also, you know, very much safety orientated, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, And and so sometimes I think you just need to be kinder to yourself as well about some of these attributes that you have and stop punishing yourself like okay so I, I am a bit obsessed with you know everything being just right but actually it comes from a place of, of care mm. for, for other people and and care for safety or, or whatever um and I think that's important to 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 sort of sometimes just say actually you know it is a good quality I just need to manage it
0: differently yes and just one last question because I found you wandering the moors with a head torch on I just wondered <laughs> if <laughs> like how, what role nature and being outside plays in your life and po- possibly linked to work and resilience? I think for me, it's
1: it allows me to escape. Um, I just can listen to the birds. I can, sometimes I do the same walk, but I'll do it a different way round. You might suddenly find me lying on the floor, staring up at the clouds. I do quite weird things. I'm sure if anyone actually followed me, I even practice sort of some of my appointments, content, I'll be chatting away to myself. So it gives me a space to rehearse and get clear in my mind. But also, sometimes it just gives me peace. Um, I often have people sort of say, I'd love to join you on a walk. And and I do, I do meet people for walks as well. But I often find it's, it's, it's my personal space and time just to kind of not have to converse with other people, but just be. So it's it's a very important thing for me. But I'm also, you know, as safe as I can be. And if I'm going out somewhere more remote, you know, there's usually someone, you know, I call them my call-outs, they know where I'm going. And obviously if I don't text them by a certain time, that they report that I'm missing that myself upset them and obviously they might not bother. But um you, n- you know where I'm coming from. It, it, I, I also try and still be safe and and aware of of things. Um, but I hadn't done a walk, sunrise walk for a couple of months. And when I went back out recently, I noticed my anxiety was quite high. And I was like, you know, who's that? What's that over there? And and I thought, why? What's what's going on? You know, I'm working in the same places, Um, so you know, our mind can play tricks on us as well, and that's something to be aware of. And and, uh, but I try not to be defeated. And if something benefits me, then I'll tr- you know I'll try and build that into my my working day.
0: Mm. Oh, thank you so much, Rachel. It's been really helpful, and I've loved the practical tips that I feel like I've got in my toolbox now. And I wish I'd had. 10 15 years ago, which I'm, I find myself saying a lot now. I'm, I'm so yeah. wise with hindsight, <laughs> but thank you for your help.
1: <laughs> the thing is, that toolbox is always there and it's never too late, and you can always add more to it and, and bring things back out again. So, um, I think that's a lovely way to think of it. So, oh. thank you for uh, for some great, insightful questions as well.
0: <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, okay. Rachel. Take care. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Resilience Rising podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please do help people find us by hitting subscribe, leaving a review or sharing us with others. Thank you so much and see you next time on the Resilience Rising podcast.